Well, this morning, we are going to begin a one-week series. <laughs> All right? I don't know if such a thing exists, but we're going to make it happen today. And so, uh, we are going to start a one-week series called Changed. A change by His Mercy. And as many of you know, uh, my position here at Harvest Bible Chapel has recently changed. And I've been the high school pastor here at Harvest for about the last four years, uh, which has been great. And I'm still leading the high school ministry as we kind of look for my replacement. But I've recently transitioned into uh, a new role, a pastor of adult ministries. And we have uh, three pastors of adult ministries on staff here at Harvest. And uh, we actually all three have something in common. I'm not sure if you are aware of that or not, but I've got a picture for us. We'll see if you can pick it out. (laughs) All right. There you go. We all have three bald, beautiful heads. We're actually making it a requirement for all future pastors of adult ministries uh, to have this quality. But uh, as you can see, uh, the three of us, uh, we've changed over the years. And wouldn't it have been great if I would have uh, had a picture of all three of us um, from back in the day with hair? Like, wouldn't that have been a great idea if I would have had that for you this morning? Yeah? I'm not sure if you're ready for this. All right? Take a look. There we are. Back in the day, you got Pastor Steve, who's in Haiti, working the mustache right there. (laughs) Pastor Mike, uh, sporting the guns, kind of looking Patrick Swayze-ish a little bit, I think, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Kind of glory days for me right there uh, in my football uniform. And and really, glory hair days for all of us, right? Right right there, Pastor Mike, what's up? (laughs) Pastor Steve does know that this is happening, by the way, okay? And so, um, as you can tell, we have changed over the years. And uh, you all have changed over the years. And it's good that we change in a lot of ways, right? I mean, it's good that you all are not here wearing diapers this morning. You know what I'm saying? You've changed over the years. And of course, uh, styles change. And so, it's probably good that I'm not up here this morning. I'm still wearing uh, my old silk shirts and uh, my tight-rolled pants, all right, and listening to Millie Vanilli on my Walkman, all right, you know what I'm saying? All right, confession time, who, who wore tight-rolled jeans back in the day? Raise your hand, put them up, okay, be proud. Let's bring it back, y'all. Let's bring it back. It looked good. Girl, you know it's true, okay? I just lost everyone. It's not from the 90s, but I'll bring you back. All right. Change is a part of life. And uh, with life comes change. And for the last few months here at Harvest, we've been walking through a series called Gospel Deep, going through the book of Romans. And we've seen time and time again Uh, that we can be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, as He does His part and we respond in faith. And so this morning, we're going to look at a passage uh, of a blind man named Bartimaeus who has an encounter with Jesus and he leaves changed forever. 
And my hope for you this morning is that you too would have an encounter with Jesus and that you would leave here change forever this morning. All right, if you have a Bible with you, uh, please turn to Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, just throw your hand up. Someone will get a Bible to you. We're going to walk through this passage uh, starting in verse 46 and kind of going verse by verse through this passage. Uh, But before we dive in, it's always good to get a little context uh, for the passage, to get an understanding of what happens uh, before the passage and to get an understanding of what's happening a little bit after the passage as well. Uh, to help us gain uh, a deeper understanding of the particular passage that we're looking at. And so this morning, before we dive into our passage, we're just going to try to get a little context. And so, what we see uh, where we are in Scripture, in Mark chapter 10, um, outside of the resurrection, Jesus is about to perform his last and final miracle, uh, miracle and healing. Alright? He's about to perform his last and final miracle and healing. And this is really his, his last week on earth before the cross. And for the last two to three years, uh, he's been doing signs and been doing wonders and, and showing his power over death and disease and demons and nature and displaying his love and his compassion and his deity, uh, all the while teaching that he is the way to eternity with God. And so, uh, he's been doing this for the last two to three years. And now it's time for him to go to Jerusalem. It's time for him to go to Jerusalem and face the hatred and animosity of the Jewish leaders and be crucified on our behalf. And what we see happening in Mark chapter 11, the chapter that immediately follows the passage that we're looking at today, is Jesus enters into Jerusalem And the people line the streets and they yell out, Hosanna, Jesus saves, and they praise his name. But by the end of the week, those same people will be yelling out, crucify him, and calling for his death. And so, before Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he makes one last stop in Jericho, which is where we pick up today. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And so, first off, we see our need um, to see our true condition and our need for a Savior. We see our need to see our true condition and a need for a Savior. Read with me in verse 46. It says, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. roadside. And so, it says they came to Jericho. They came to Jericho. Now, most of you are probably somewhat familiar with the city Jericho from the story in the Old Testament, right? Uh, The Israelites march around the walls of the city of Jericho for seven days. And on the seventh day, when the trumpet sounds, the walls fall. And it's an incredible story of God at work. Um, But this is the Jericho of the New Testament. It's actually a different city. It's a large and and flourishing city, really, um, largely because of the water supply that's available to them through naturally fed springs. And the text says, as they're leaving Jericho, and they're heading to Jerusalem, which is about a six-hour walk, 
As they're leaving Jericho, uh, his disciples are following Jesus. And the text says that there's a large crowd following Jesus as well. Now, there's several reasons for this large crowd uh, that's following Jesus. Uh, One is it's about to be Passover time. And so people are heading to Jerusalem uh, to observe and kind of celebrate Passover. But then also there were, there were many people following Jesus who had come to believe that he indeed was the Messiah. And then there was another group of people who were following Jesus really just out of curiosity. Um, they were wondering, is he really who he claimed to be? And so as this large crowd passes through Jericho, people would have come out of their homes, they would have come out of the fields, and they would have lined the streets. And it would have created this parade-like environment as this large crowd is passing through the street. And the text says, sitting along the roadside amidst the crowd was a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus had two evils. He had two evils. One was blindness, and one was poverty. All right? We don't know uh, the cause of Bartimaeus' blindness. We don't know if he was born blind, or we don't know if he became blind as a result of sickness or disease or an accident. We don't know that. But what we do know is that his blindness has reduced him to begging. And in the theology of the day, the Jews would have believed that he was under divine judgment from God, and that God was punishing him for his sin. And maybe you're familiar with the passage in John chapter 9, as Jesus and his disciples kind of roll up on another blind man, and his disciples ask Jesus a question, and they say, "Um, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him, or was it his parents? And so we see the belief of the Jews of the time. They would have believed that he was suffering under the curse of God, So they reject him, and they despise him, and they leave him alone to suffer. And we see even his family has left him alone to suffer under this divine curse. And we see that Bartimaeus is unable to see. He's unable really to go anywhere. And really, he's hopeless. And this is the condition of Bartimaeus. And in reality... This is the condition of each and every one of us as well. We are all blind beggars. We are blind. We are blind. We are unable to see the greatness of Jesus Christ because of our sin. We are blind. We are unable to see the glory of God because of our sin. And we are beggars. Although we may have all this world has to offer, our heart is never filled. We are never content. We are constantly longing for more and asking for more out of life and begging for more. It reminds me of an interview I saw on 60 Minutes a few years ago of New England Patriot quarterback Tom Brady. And uh, maybe you're familiar with Tom Brady. I mean, here's this guy. He has everything the world has to offer right? I mean, Super Bowl quarterback, um, literally married to a supermodel, uh, millions and millions of dollars from playing football and from endorsements. And in this very candid moment, uh, in this interview on 60 Minutes, he says, I have three Super Bowl rings, and I keep 
telling myself over and over and over, there has to be something greater than this. There has to be more. There has to be more. And the interviewer asks him, well, what is it? And Tom Brady kind of looks down and says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. He was blind. He was blind to the greatness of God. He was blind to his need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. And he was begging for more. He was begging for more. Yet he was blind to his need for a Savior. And so, um, we see that the lot of Bartimaeus and the lot of Tom Brady is the same lot for each and every one of us. We are all blind beggars. And we are all in need of a Savior. And so, question for you this morning. Have you seen your true condition? That you are hopeless. And that you are in sin. And that you are in need of a Savior. And we see in verse 47... Bartimaeus sees his Savior, which is what we need to do as well. We need to see that Jesus is Messiah and Savior and God, and we need to call out to him for mercy. Look with me in verse 47. It says, And when he, he being Bartimaeus, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, Have mercy on me. And so as the crowd is approaching Bartimaeus as he's sitting along the roadside, and as uh, the buzz of the crowd begins to to hit his ears, Bartimaeus likely asks someone, what's the buzz all about? And someone tells him, as we see in the text, that it is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, uh, this is no different than how we talk. Um, We say these kind of things, right? Like we may say, um, Mike from Morton. Right? Or we may say, this is Matt from East Peoria. And so this, this person tells Bartimaeus that it is Jesus of Nazareth. And when Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus, he knows that it's simply, that, that he's more uh, than, than simply Jesus of Nazareth. Um, he knows that he is Jesus, son of David. He knows that he is Messiah, that he is Savior, and that he is God. And the phrase, son of David, it was the most common uh, Jewish uh, term for Messiah. And really all Jews would have known uh, from the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7 uh, that the Messiah would come from the family line of David. And that this greater son, this greater son of David would be given a throne to rule on and reign forever. And so all Jews would have known this. And we see from the genealogies in Matthew and in the book of Luke that both of Jesus' parents, um, Joseph and Mary, were in the line of David, which would, have tied, um, which would have tied Jesus to the line of David as well and fulfilled the Davidic covenant. All right? And so uh, we see as Bartimaeus makes this claim, as he shouts out and gives Jesus this title, Son of David, He's showing his faith and belief that Jesus truly is Messiah, Savior, and God. Now, we don't know how Bartimaeus came to this conclusion exactly. 
But what's very likely is that as he was sitting along the roadside in Jericho, people were passing by and they would share stories with him or he would overhear people telling stories about Jesus. In fact, just a few days ago in a little village called Bethany, really just right up the road, Jesus brought a dead man named Lazarus back to life. And there's no doubt that word would have traveled back to Jericho and very likely would have landed on Bartimaeus' ears. And so, Bartimaeus, he couldn't see Jesus walking up the dusty road. He couldn't see that Jesus didn't have a crown on his head. He couldn't see that Jesus wasn't wearing royal robes. He couldn't see that Jesus didn't have a high-profile entourage. But what he could see in his heart is that Jesus was Messiah, that Jesus alone could be his Savior. And so his faith rises up. And the text says that he cries out. He cries out. Now, the word here in the original, in the Greek, is a very uh, strong word. All right? It's the word krazo. And this isn't the kind of cry out uh, or shout out that you may give to someone that you know when they walk in from across the room and you kind of look over at them and you say, Hello! Everyone try that with me right now. Ready? Hello! Not like that at all, okay? This is a a, a much stronger cry. We see this word used three other times in Scripture to describe the cry of others. Um, One is a demon-possessed man, all right? Another is an insane man. And the third one, I'm not sure if you're ready for this, all right, is a pregnant woman in labor, Okay? I don't know who decided to put all three of those in the same category. Okay? But that wasn't me. Pastor Tim talked about that some last week. If you're here, you may remember that. And so, uh, it was an intense cry. And so, uh, in the midst of this massive crowd, with thousands of conversations going on, and people buzzing, and really just kind of chaos everywhere... Bartimaeus, he cries out to try to reach above the crowd. And he says, Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And really it was a cry of anguish. And it was a cry of desperation. And it was a cry of faith. And it was a cry of mercy. And there's no doubt that David, or that Bartimaeus, um, he knew his need for mercy. Um, that he uh, believed that he was a sinner. And he very likely would have believed the theology of the day and believed that he indeed was blind because of his sin. And so he sees his need. He sees uh, his sin. And he knows that only Jesus can give him this mercy. So he cries out to him, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Mercy. A simple definition of mercy It's not getting what we deserve. It's not getting what we deserve. My wife and I, we have four children, and they are all age five and under, all right? And sometimes in the crazy moments, we want to yell out crazo style. You know what I'm saying? Perhaps you can relate to that. We have four children, and at times, believe it or not, our children will disobey. And when they disobey, um, kind of uh, defiantly and um, disrespectfully and deliberately, um, we very calmly 
take them to the room of retribution and reconciliation in our house, if you get what I'm saying, all right? And in our house, that room happens to be a bathroom with leopard carpet, all right? Yes, I did just say bathroom with leopard carpet. Don't judge us. We rent, okay? You never know what you're going to get, all right? And so, like I said, we very calmly take them into uh, the bathroom with leopard carpet, and, and we walk through a series of questions with them to try to get them uh, to, to see their sin and to see their need for a Savior. And so it usually goes something like uh, sitting them down and, and asking them to confess and name their sin. Um, Simeon, what did you do? And, and then they'll usually say something like, if it's Simeon, who's kind of our wild child, we were playing Duck, Duck, Goose, and I tackled my sister seven times instead of tagging her, right? He's kind of a wild child. And I'll say, okay, was that loving to her? No, that was not loving. So he names his sin, right? And then I'll ask Simeon, I'll say, Simeon, why did you do that? And after doing this for several times, they've kind of learned. And he'll say, because of the sin in my heart. And I'll say, that's right, buddy. And I'll ask him, who can help you? with that sin in your heart. And he'll say, only Jesus. I'll say, that's right, buddy. And how can Jesus help you with that sin in, in your heart? And he'll say, he died on the cross so I can be forgiven. And I'll say, that's right. And I'll say, buddy, because I love you, um, I'm now going to um, give you a discipline to help remind you of the right choice that will honor the Lord and honor mommy and daddy. And we do that, and then afterwards, um, we pray together, and it's really a very tender and intimate moment. But sometimes, but sometimes we'll walk through that very same uh, series of questions, and kind of when we get to the end, uh, I'll say to Simeon, or whatever child it may be, I'll say, uh, Simeon, now because of your choice, you deserve a discipline. But this time, I'm not going to give you a discipline. I'm going to give you mercy instead. And usually they'll say, what's mercy, Daddy? And I'll say, mercy is not getting what you deserve. And then usually they, they look at me with this uh, little smile on their face and say something like, I like mercy, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> And it's really a great moment, because then I'll say to them something like, you know what, buddy, I like mercy too. And we can be so thankful that um, even though we have sinned, and even though we have disobeyed God, He doesn't give us what we deserve, which is to be separated from Him forever. He doesn't give us what we deserve, He gives us mercy instead. He gives us Jesus to help us with our sin. And here in this moment in the text, we see Bartimaeus, he sees his need for mercy. He sees his need for help with his sin. And so he cries out to Jesus and says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so, a question for you this morning. Have you cried out to the Lord for mercy? Have you seen that Jesus alone is your Messiah and Savior and God? And have you believed in Him 
so you can be forgiven of your sin and spend eternity with him. Jesus is passing by this morning. He is passing by this morning. Call out to him and ask him for mercy. And then uh, maybe you would say, yes. Um, Yes, I have actually uh, called out to Jesus for mercy and believed in him and put my faith in him to be saved. And that's great. Praise God. Um, Question for you. Are you continuing to see your need for mercy each day? And are you continuing to call out to him for mercy each and every single day, knowing that Jesus is truly the only one who can sustain you? Um, I read a quote recently that was really timely in this kind of busy season of life for me, um, kind of doing two jobs here at Harvest. Um, And this quote was, was really timely in the midst of that. And it said something like, the reason that we don't cry out to God for mercy, it's not because we're too busy. It's because we're too confident. conviction it's not because we're too busy that we're not crying out to Jesus for mercy it's because we're too confident and so I ask you this morning are you like me at times are you too confident see your need See your true condition and cry out to Jesus for mercy each and every day. And so, um, not only do we need to see our own need for mercy, but we see from the text, we also need to see the need of others as well. And so, uh, as we continue on in the text, we see uh, that our next point is to see the needs of others. Um, See the needs of the weak and lead them to Jesus as well. And so we pick up in verse 48. After Bartimaeus has just cried out, Jesus, son son of David, have mercy on me. It says in verse 48, we see the response of the crowd. It says, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And so we see from the text, uh, his cry for mercy, it creates no sympathy from the crowd at all. And in fact, the text says that they rebuke him. They they sternly and they they forcefully uh, tell him, quiet down, shut your mouth. And why would they respond this way? Why would they respond to this man that's in such great need? And it's because... um, They saw him simply as a nuisance. They saw him as a lower class sinner. They saw him as unimportant and an inconvenience to them. And so they try to shut him down. Well, how does Jesus respond? Look back to the text with me um, in verse 49. It says, And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Jesus stopped and said, call him. See, Jesus never ignores the cry of the weak. Jesus always has time for the weak and for the poor and for the hurting. 
And to Jesus, this man, he wasn't a nuisance. He was simply in need of a Savior. It reminds me of uh, a story that happened uh, several years ago when I was a youth pastor at a church in Missouri. And uh, our church had partnered with this other large church in town uh, to put on this, this big event, uh, bringing in uh, this, this kind of X Games type event. Uh, there were going to be skateboarders and BMX guys and motorcycle guys and all these big ramps and everything. And the gospel was going to be shared at this event. And our students were, were very excited about this event. And the day of the event came, and it was uh, kind of early in the afternoon, and I got a phone call from one of our junior high students uh, named Brittany. And she said, Shane, I, I really want to go to this event tonight. I'm so excited about it, um, but my parents are not going to be able to pick me up and, and bring me. Um, I don't know how I can get there. And I said, okay, um, I'll arrange a ride for you, and I'll send someone to, to come pick you up. And she was so excited and so thankful. She said, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and see, Brittany was, she was, she was different than most of the students that we had in our student ministry there. Um, her parents had very, very little money, all right? And um, she didn't have the things that most of the kids had. Uh, she didn't dress the way that most of the kids dress. She often would wear uh, the same thing to church uh, on Sunday and Wednesday and kind of week after week. And so um, she didn't have what the other kids had. And she was in need in a lot of ways. And so um, I went to one of our interns at the time, one of our female interns, and I told her, Brittany just called me, and uh, her parents aren't going to be able to bring her tonight, so I need you to go pick her up and, and bring her to the church so she can go to the event. And man, she really pushed back on me when I, when I asked her to do this. And she said, um, if we start doing this now, she might start asking us to do this every week. And do we really want to get into this, like having to go pick her up over and over again every week? See, she saw her as a nuisance, not in need of a Savior. And I very lovingly rebuked her in that moment and told her that she needed to go pick her up. And she did and about 30 minutes before uh, we left the church to go to this event, um, the, these two twins, Justin and Dustin, high school students, they came running up to me, and they were crying like babies. And I said, guys, 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 settle down, settle down, what's wrong, what's wrong? And uh, Justin and Dustin both had um, a type of mental disability, all right, and they were pretty emotional guys, and they were a little challenging at times for us. Um, but I finally got them to calm down. And they said, uh, one of the other youth pastors told us that we couldn't come to the event tonight. And I said, okay, calm down. Calm, calm down. I'll take you. All right, you can come with me. You're going to go. It's okay. And right about that time, their mom comes storming up. And she's crying. And, and she had lost her husband several years ago in a car accident and had a lot of emotional issues. And she was overwhelmed and, and just upset that her boys were upset. And I said, calm down. It's okay. I'll take them. I'll take them with me. And so then I went and found uh, this other youth pastor who's a very good friend of mine, uh, a guy that, that I truly, uh, truly love. And, and I went up to him and I said, bro, what's the deal? Uh, why did you tell Justin and Dustin they couldn't go with us to this event? And he said, man, you kind of know how it is. Like, um, they're just, uh, they're a lot to handle at times and they require a lot of supervision and they're going to be a lot of people there. 
See, he saw them as a nuisance. He didn't see their need for a Savior. And I said, okay, I understand. Um, How about we take them with us, and I'll kind of stay with them and stay close to them. And he said, okay. And so we go to this big event, and man, motorcycles are flying, and skateboards are flipping, and bicycles are spinning around, and music is blaring, and students were just loving it, and it was awesome. And and right at the end of the night, um, one of the motorcycle guys stands up, and he shares his testimony about how Jesus Christ has changed him. And he shares the gospel message. And then he gives a time for students uh, to kind of respond to the gospel and and put their faith in Jesus Christ if they wanted to. And after he did that, um, he said, anyone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ tonight, right now, we want you to stand up and walk over to this tent. And there are some adult counselors there that will be waiting for you to help talk you through uh, the decision you just made. And I look over at this group of students. I look over at at our group of students. And I promise you this is true. Three students of ours stand up and start walking to the tent. Brittany, Justin, and Dustin. And in that moment, their eternity was changed forever. And men and women... We need, to, we need to see the needs of others. We need to see the great opportunity that we have to point people to Christ. And we see that even the crowd who was so violently against Bartimaeus, even their attitude and perspective begins to change. After Jesus, says, after Jesus stops and says, call him, we see in verse 49, it says, They called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up. He is calling you. And so the, the attitude of the crowd changes. And they say, take heart. Be encouraged. Get up. He's calling to you. And he, the crowd points uh, Bartimaeus to Jesus. And so, question for you this morning. Are you seeing the needs of the weak? All right? Are you seeing the needs of the weak? Uh, maybe where you work. Uh, maybe in your neighborhood, um, maybe on uh, the teams that your kids play on, um, maybe at your school. And are, are you seeing them as a nuisance? Or are you seeing their, their need for Christ and trying to point them to Jesus? And maybe just uh, we can talk about three practical ways. Three practical ways that that we can care um, for the weak, those in need, and lead them to Jesus. All pretty simple. Uh, Number one, we can invite them to church, right? You can invite them with you to church. And it was through the invitation of a friend when I was in high school that I heard the gospel for the first time. And my eternity was changed uh, because of that invitation of a friend. And so you can invite someone uh, to to church so that they can hear the truth, so that they can hear the gospel, and so they can be changed. Um, Number two, you can simply share your testimony with them. Uh, Share your story with them. Share the gospel message with them while doing that. Uh, Just as that motorcycle guy stood up and shared his testimony, um, 
People were changed as they heard the gospel message. And those who were hopeless now had hope and had eternity with the Lord forever. And so you can share your story with people at work or at school or in your neighborhood and give hope to the hopeless. And number three, all right, you may think, man, those, those first two maybe sound a little challenging. Um, here we go. Number three, invite them to your house for dinner. Whoa. You mean like, like invite them to my house, like where I live, like my personal space, my home? Like invite them into my house? Yes. Invite them to your house, to dinner, to love on them. Man, I saw uh, just the impact of this in a huge way. Just several weeks ago, uh, my wife invited um, this young single mother and her children over to our house for dinner several weeks ago. And, and man, we ate pizza, and, and we played Xbox, and we played Connect, and we all had a great time together. And as we were walking them out at the end of the night, she kind of stopped at the door, and she looked at my wife. And she said, thank you so much for inviting me over here tonight. As a single mom, people don't invite you to their homes very often. And boom, it just hit me. Um, We need to see the needs of those uh, who are weak and are hurting, and those that are struggling. We need to love on them, and we need to point them to Christ. What a great opportunity that we all have. And remember, you too were once a blind beggar before someone led you to Christ. All right? And fourth and lastly, we see our need to run to Jesus and be changed. We see our need to run to Jesus and be changed. Look at verse 50 with me. We see uh, the response of Bartimaeus. As Jesus stops and calls him, and the crowd says, go to him, he's calling to you. And it says uh, in verse 50, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. It says he, he, he threw off his cloak. What passionate faith this is by Bartimaeus. Here's probably this man's only possession, his cloak. Uh, the thing that keeps him warm. Uh, the thing that he uses for a bed at night. And he, he throws it off. And in a way he's saying, uh, whatever I own, as little as it is, it's nothing compared to you, Jesus. And I will discard anything to get to you as fast as I possibly can. What faith he displayed. And when he gets to Jesus, in verse 51, it says, Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And incredibly, in this moment, the Lord of lords and the King of kings becomes a servant to a beggar. And we see the compassion and the love and the tenderness of Jesus. And he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And as you might imagine, Bartimaeus responds to Jesus in verse 51, and it says, the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. He says, Rabbi, I want to see. 
And the word for rabbi here, it's not the more common uh, typical uh, name or word in the Greek language that just simply means teacher. It's a form of the word that's used only to address God in prayer. And from that, and from Bartimaeus' clear belief that Jesus can heal his eyes, we see two more indications that Bartimaeus does indeed believe that Jesus is Messiah and Savior and God. And how does Jesus respond? Verse 52, And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And so, incredibly, Jesus restores this man's sight, just like that. And in an instant, how amazing would it have been for him to look up, and he sees the blue skies, and he sees the white, puffy clouds, and then he sees the face of his Savior, who has just healed him. But what's even more amazing, and what's even more incredible is that Jesus not only healed his eyes, he healed his soul as well. And the text says, um, your faith has made you well. And here we see um, the Greek word for made you well. It's not the simple Greek word that means physical healing. Uh, It's the word sozo, which means saved. And so Jesus says, because of your faith, because of your trust and belief in me, that I am Messiah and Savior and God, not only have I changed your eyesight, I have changed your eternity forever. And in that moment, this blind, lonely, despicable beggar becomes a beloved child of God for eternity. Jesus changed him forever. And the text says that he followed him on the way. And the reality is, Jesus changed Bartimaeus 2,000 years ago. But he continues to change people today. And uh, he changed me. And he healed my heart uh, 20 years ago, actually, this spring. And I didn't grow up going to church um, really at all. And I can remember um, being a junior in high school. Being a junior in high school and laying in bed each and every night, just staring at the ceiling, unable to fall asleep, just in absolute fear of death and what was going to happen to me after I died. And then a friend of mine, as I mentioned before, invited me to church. And I heard the gospel message for the very first time. And after hearing it and hearing it a few times, I saw my condition. I saw my sin. I saw my need for a Savior. I saw my need for mercy. And I cried out to Jesus. And I ran to Him. And I threw off my sin. And I said, Jesus, have mercy on me. And He saved me. And he healed my heart. And he changed me. And I can still so clearly remember um, to this day, 20 years ago, going home that night and going to bed and falling fast asleep 
and and each and every night since then falling fast asleep and my fear of death had been changed to peace in Christ he changed Bartimaeus 2,000 years ago he changed me 20 years ago and he's still changing people today and what you're about to see is the stories of 20 people here at Harvest and things that they have struggled with and how Christ has changed them. Jesus changes hearts and lives. Amen? Amen. Pray with me.